Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Writers in the World. On the show today is Lessons from Faculty. Before we get to the episode, just a quick word about applying to SIUE's MFA program. Those interested should note the deadline to apply is January 31st. A full list of required materials and guidelines can be found online at siue.edu forward slash academics forward slash graduate. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to Writers in the World. I'm Grant Deem, and on the show with me today is the author of the poetry collections We Are Starved and Glean, Dr. Joshua Kriya. Dr. K received his MS- MFA from the prestigious Iowa Writers Workshop before earning his PhD at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Currently, he teaches poetry and literature at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Dr. K, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, and so... We're going to be talking about uh, place, specifically St. Louis, uh, on the show today, and just how um, place or setting affects art, affects an artist, affects their body of work. And I know that you've been sort of quoted saying when you were younger, you were sort of ready to get out of the area, but then once you left, um, you sort of thought about St. Louis endlessly. And and so I guess you don't have to answer that question as to the why behind that, but I, but in a general sense, what do you find unique or compelling about the art scene in St. Louis, about the literary scene specifically, or what makes this area intriguing for artists mm-hmm. um, and for those that support the arts? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so I'm originally from St. Louis. I was born and raised there, and uh, my formative years as a writer were spent in St. Louis. And so as a result of that... I paid a lot of attention to what was happening in St. Louis with regards to the literary arts and poetry in particular. Um, and I, as I was in high school, but especially certainly in college, my, my undergraduate years um, in St. Louis, um, I became very aware of what was happening in, in St. Louis in terms of that literary um, milieu or that literary scene. And what I discovered pretty quickly is that there's a, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, St. Louis has a very long literary tradition that predates me. Um, we have lots of writers who are originally from St. Louis. They may not have stayed in St. Louis, but they're originally from here, and we do claim them. And some of St. Louis sometimes appears or has appeared in their work. Uh, so the poet T.S. Eliot is originally from St. Louis. Um, his grandfather is one of the founders of Washington University. Um, and in some of Eliot's work, he does refer to either directly or indirectly um, landmarks, um, the geography, and even the city of St. Louis in some ways. Um, William Burroughs is originally from St. Louis, uh, another important literary figure, though he went off and went many other places uh, far afield from here. Um, Marion Moore is a poet, was in St. Louis for a little while, St. Louis County, uh, moved off to New York and other places uh, when she was younger, but she's originally from the area. And even some contemporary writers, so Jane Smiley is from St. Louis. Is that right? Did she write that piece? I'm reading, yeah, well, I'm reading a novella by her, actually, yeah. right now, um, Ordinary Love and Goodwill. Yeah, yeah. right? Is it James? It's got to be James Smiley. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Smiley. We should check this and make yeah, sure. No, we will, yeah. But I'm sure, I think she's from St. Louis. She recently just wrote, I, I'm, it's her, she recently wrote a piece in the New York uh, Times, of a travel piece about traveling to St. Louis, cool. and I believe she grew up in St. Louis County, but she comes. I actually ran into her once um, at the St. Louis airport. Oh, nice. um, years ago, and I was like, "What is she doing here?" Then I remembered, "Oh yeah, she's from St. Louis," um, so she comes back regularly. So we have a long literary tradition of 
a history of people from in, in, in writing that are from here. Tons, actually. So Tennessee Williams was here in St. Louis for a while um, in the Central West End. So there's, there's a lot there. Um, there's another poet now who's in New York, uh, Fred Seidel. Um, is a well-known poet um, who's from, originally from St. Louis. So when I was growing up here, there was a lot of uh, opportunity to participate in the literary arts, uh, mostly initially for me by going to readings and having exposure to writers here in the city. Um, and those readings would happen on campus at Washington University's campus. I would go to those readings and listen to writers coming in from all over uh, the country, but also sometimes from the globe. Um, or even at, even at University of Missouri St. Louis, or at Fontbonne, or at St. Louis University, um, Maryville, um, all of these, Harris Stowe, we have so many universities and colleges in St. So Louis, many. Yeah. many of which support and have always supported the arts, so there's opportunities to do that. We also have bookstores, so Left Bank Books, which has been a mainstay in the Central West End in St. Louis for many years, has always been giving readings, and so I used to go there uh, frequently to do readings. And in fact, when I was in college, I was given the opportunity with a friend to start an open mic night at Left Bank. They had a cafe at that time. So for me, that's how it started, sort of realizing that we could actually do participate, begin to not just sort of come and, and, and um, view or listen to these readings or see these poets and writers, but we could actually ourselves engage the, the community by reading our own work and, and sort of curating our own reading series. And what we found early on is that we had a lot of uh, positive response from the community. We would ask established writers from places like, again, Washington University or UMSL or SLU, and they would come to our readings and they would, they would do that very willingly for, for nothing, just to do it and, and, and help us out. Um, then there's literary magazines. Um, River Sticks has been around forever, right? And so River Sticks has been around for uh, many, many years. And River Six has always had a very robust and healthy uh, reading series that goes through the year, and they've been doing it over the summers for a while as well. Um, they used to read at a place I waited tables, which was called Duff's. It was a restaurant, again, in the Central West End, but that has since changed. Uh, but River Six is still giving those readings. There was an older magazine called Delmar Magazine, which was run by a friend of mine, Jeff Hamilton. Um, and that was around for a limited amount of time, but they did some events and some readings as well. Currently, right now, we have another magazine in town called December, and they do do readings as well, um, not as frequently as River Sticks, but December magazine has been around only for a few years now, but they're doing a lot here, uh, doing sort of co-organizing events with other organizations in town. Um, and then one other thing, the other thing that's, you know, for literary arts here in St. Louis is the St. Louis Poetry Center, especially when it comes to poetry. Um, I'm on the board of the St. Louis Poetry Center, and I organize and curate a reading series through them called the Observable Reading Series, and I've done that for about three or four years now. Um, and the St. Louis Poetry Series Center, excuse me, has been around for many, many years, I think at least 50, if not more. And they provide many opportunities for readings, they provide workshops, uh, Q&As with writers that come through. So they provide a lot of uh, resources for writers that wanna come get engaged in the community. Again, either just going to watch or to, to listen to a reading, to go to a workshop, to sharing work with other people, you know, getting into correspondence with poets that, that provide all that. Um, so yeah, we've got a lot going on, That's right? A lot, a lot of going options. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, and it still, still sort of begs the question for me. I wonder, sort of, it sounded like when you were younger, growing up, you still took advantage of all these things. Mm -hmm. But 
I don't know if there's that point that happens in an artist's life or anyone's life where there's this need to get out into the world to to experience new things, see new places. Yeah. But you know, all the while, this was sort of in the back of your mind. Yeah. And mm. um, I guess I I wonder when you when you came when you returned um, to to the area around 2013, yeah. correct? When you yeah. first started teaching yeah. at SIUE, yeah. did you look at these venues, these uh, opportunities differently? I mean, the collaboration between these between these opportunities, I guess, to appreciate the arts, like that seems to be sort of apparent yeah, in all of these yeah, places. And yeah. so I wonder, um, I mean, clearly you sort of dove in. Yeah, yeah. I do, I think so. I mean, I think things have just changed um, just in terms of culture and, and history. So um, I was gone for quite a while. And so necessarily because I'm older and times have changed, some of these opportunities don't exist as, as they did before. So the coffee houses that were sort of around with open mics don't, aren't really around as much anymore. Not that I know of. I don't see that operating as, as, as robustly as it did before. When I when again, when I was younger, aside from the bookstore and from these literary magazines and the campuses, there was also a lot of uh, open mic readings at um, coffee houses. And you could just sort of walk in on any given night and there'd be a reading and you could participate. You'd meet people and you'd sort of know who was going to be there. And it was really a way to form community, mm. you know, however loosely, but it was there. I think I'm older now, so I'm not out on the street as much as I used to be. But I do believe there's not as much of that happening. I think mm. just in terms of the culture, not just in St. Louis, but I think overall that kind of peaked, I think, at one point, probably in the 90s. And then, and the new millennium sort of has changed uh, a little bit. So there's still, so for what I've seen now is the other avenues where these opportunities exist, but they're more curated, I guess. They're, mm-hmm. they're less, and again, it's just, I'm, I'm not saying that they don't exist. I mean, there, I know there are open mic opportunities and anyone can start those things. I mean, I'm sure there's the ability to go and do those as well um, at bookstores or at restaurants. Sure. Um, but from what I can tell now since, since being back is that it's mostly more tightly curated um, experiences of the arts and they but what's been exciting about and what I mean by that is that it's these are sort of programmed you know um, events um, not sort of spontaneous you know meetups you Mm -hmm. know like once a week you just show up and see who's there um, which is what I think we were doing a lot of in St. Louis at the time now it's what's heavy heavily more heavily programmed and you come more as a sort of passive participant in some ways. You're just there to listen and to, to view. But you still, right. there's a community there. You meet people. You can go and engage with the writers afterwards or beforehand. Um, but the settings change, right, too. So instead of the coffee houses and even some of the restaurants, I'm seeing like the art museums. You know, mm-hmm. So that the programming in those museums and those cultural art places are now much more open and initiative and sort of involving a more interdisciplinary sort of approach to events programming and so they bring the literary arts in mm. so the pulitzer museum which is down in grand center has a poetry reading series called the hundred boots and they have this beautiful right beautiful beautiful space in the museum itself it's a heavily curated you know architectural feat itself and they mm. do these readings in there and um and it's really kind of an experience you sit on these very long sloping steps and the writer is right in front of you but it's very cavernous and big so the experience is really different than walking into a loud bustling Absolutely, you know coffee yeah. shop and those are you know not one's better than the other but they're just very different right. um this also was happening at cam the contemporary arts museum they were doing re- a reading series for a while and now they do i think some readings there as well um and then universities will still always do um, symposiums or they'll do lectures or they'll do readings. So those kind of repositories of 
the arts are sort of definitely doing more of this. There's a recently reopened museum on the campus of Washington University, which is called the Kemper Museum, and that has got some opportunities for readings and things as well. So what I'm trying to impress, I guess, is that there, the literary arts has now become much more um, integrated into other arts programming, yeah. and so it's not sort of seen as something that just exists in its own spaces, separate from, say, visual arts or performing arts or you know, the musical arts, all those things begin to sort of are bleeding a lot. And in St. Louis, that's always been the case. I just see it kind of growing and maturing even more as I've, as I've, as I've returned. Um, we have so many venues for the arts. So aside from just even the literary arts, we have a very active uh, theater uh, scene here in St. Mm -hmm. Louis. Um, the visual arts, I mean, we have so many museums and great museums and incredible collections and um, exhibitions that come in that are national and global that come in and we get to see. So there's a lot happening that way. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm most excited about, seeing yeah. how that collaboration and um, overlap between the arts is sort of happening right, here right. in town. Yeah, yeah and you, you know, one has to think that the, the tech boom has, has something to do with this change. And, and you know, it's just makes me think of adaptation, adaptability and, and how... Yeah a writer or a supporter of the arts or someone like you who even puts on these events, you know, mm -hmm. how does that fit into sort of a changing landscape? But, yeah, yeah. Um, at any rate, you are obviously a wealth of knowledge when it comes to um, artful, artistic things going on in the community. And it sounds like there's just sort of like this endless list of, yeah. of things you can there's go tons. do. There's tons. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So you've uh, let our listeners know quite a bit about um, the places and spaces where they could find a reading or some other type of uh, opportunity related to the arts, some performance, and, and that's really useful and helpful. Um, I'd like to shift maybe just a little bit, the focus a little bit here to your own body of work and, and your own writing, because I know this area is sort of, is sort of central to that, or at least it's an important part. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm wondering, um, and you can answer this however you'd like. You don't have to look at the spectrum and the, bo the complete body of your work from when you first started out uh, writing writing songs, right, in, in a band and, and sort of finding your voice as an art, artist and poet then uh, all the way till now. Um, so, you know, by all means, you can talk about any projects or, or pieces you have uh, in the works right now. But I'm wondering, uh, how has St. Louis and the surrounding region influenced um, your writing, either your thematics or, or your research. I know that you're big on research. Um, and each place has unique history. Of course, this region is no different. So um, either how history or even like current events uh, in and around the St. Louis area, how has that sort of shaped any of your choices that you've made yeah. as an artist or, or continue to make? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I, so there's like two parts to that, I think. The first part is like, as a young person, I think that the influence of St. Louis on me as a writer was more um, about who was here, right? What writers were here. I was very invested in sort of learning about local writers and local talent. I mean, I don't remember exactly how I sort of realized that that was important, but it became important to me to, to, to know that regionally that there were writers here doing the work that I wanted to do and doing it successfully um, and well. And so that became a really important thing to, you know, that's part of my, my own sort of research as a young writer was I wanted to learn what was around me first, right, uh, and see how that's working. And so I did. I mean, I remember um, I, would, I figured out who was here, what poets were here in particular. That's why I was mostly um, focused on, and even if I didn't know them or ever had any contact with them. 
And so re- I would research their writing, I'd go to the library and I'd find their books and I would read their books. If they gave readings, I'd go to their readings. So I began to know more about them and, and kind of think about who they were, why they were here, and then think about also that same question as it applies to them. How did St. Louis, if, if it did at all, affect or impress itself upon their writing? Or did it, you know, did it emerge at all? Um, and so just sort of thinking about that. And so that was my kind of cutting my teeth just as I think as, as a writer, just period, like thinking about what does it mean to be a poet? What does it mean to be a writer? And reading others, right? And it didn't have any sort of, I, I remember actively sort of not wanting to be biased against regional writers, which I know sometimes mm. can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, wanting to privilege more sort of renowned or famous or at that time in particular sort of New York or coastal writers. Yeah. These were sort of the ones we should be paying attention to. And realizing we had some real amazing people here. So, you know, I would go to these readings and this is, I mean, you know, Bill Gass, William Gass was here at the time. He just passed away a few years ago. Um, you know, a fiction writer, but also a philosopher and an essayist. Um, and Donald Finkel was a poet. It'd be both of these guys were at Washington University. Um, Stanley Elkin was a fiction writer at Washington University a while ago, but he was still kind of around when I was younger. So I got to sort of go see these guys um, uh, perform and, and I go and explore their, their writing as well. And then other poets. So Carl Phillips arrived in St. Louis at Washington University and he's, he was really an interesting figure. Mary Jo Bang, uh, the poet that I studied with at UMSOL, which is Steve Schreiner, uh, was a really uh, important figure for me as well. Richard Newman, who was the editor of River Sticks, was an important uh, figure in town because he just made things happen. But his predecessors at River Sticks were Michael Castro, another poet who was became eventually the poet laureate of, of St. Louis. Shirley LaFleur was a very important figure on, on the scene. Um, our very own Eugene Redmond, who at the time was still teaching actively at SIUE, but very involved in the scene in St. Louis as well. Um, so there's just a lot of poets just everywhere. I mean, it was a lot of things happening. So for me, that was how St. Louis influenced me initially. Um, in my own writing, I think, aside from some very juvenilia stuff at, at the beginning, I kind of actively kept St. Louis out of my writing. Mm. It was not, I thought that was provincial of me to just write about where I was from. I thought that was limiting and not, not a good idea for a young writer. Um, I think I... Why was, do you think that? Well, I was, mis- out, just, really? I, I was pretentious. It was yeah. just, I mean, I think reading the biographies of other famous writers, even though most of them wrote about where they came from, I thought it was not something that I should do. Um, I still was operating with an idea that art was pretty lofty and, and pretty mm-hmm. austere and rarefied, and so I didn't want to bring too much of the contemporary or complicated world into it. I wanted to sort of privilege mm-hmm. beauty, yeah. you know, and, 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 and sort of art for art's sake. Um, but when I returned, so then when I left and went off and lived many other places and did many other things, St. Louis remained with me because I'm from here, my family's here, these writers are, a lot of these writers are still here, um, and my formative years are here. But the city also stayed with me. I really kept thinking about how I missed the city, um, and how, despite not involving it in my writing very much, um, I was involved very much in it um, when I was younger. I traversed the city all the time. I was moving around the city through public transportation, taking the bus from here to there, and then a little bit later um, when the Metrolink appeared, taking the Metro, um, riding my bike, walking. Um, when I was very young, I was skateboarding, but I used to move around the city a lot, I mean a whole lot. And so I didn't really realize how much it had imprinted on me, that I really had um, 
the the pattern of that city of the city the sort of layout of the city and then all its you know subsequent issues um were were kind of I don't know. They were kind of tattooed on me, but I just didn't didn't think about it that way until later. And so when I began to move other places and and move on with my life, St. Louis became this sort of constant thing um, that I would return to in my mind, you know. And it was a place that I would sort of feel homesick for, or that I would use to sort of remember my youth and my sort of my my early days. Um, but it also became a sort of just an identity, like oh, St. Louis mm-hmm. is my place, mm-hmm. um, and it became more than just a literary association. I mean, I'm always very proud to take people around and say, this is a very much a literary town for all the reasons right, yeah. I've mentioned. But it's it became more important that it's a really messed up city, that, you know, St. Louis is a really, really fucked up city and in so many ways, like lots of cities are. Right. But St. Louis... Um, and so those problems of the city and what I mean by problems I mean economic and social but also racial right Um, we are a very gentrified very segregated city and I was very aware of that as a kid but was able to pass through it very easily and very fluidly as a young uh, white man Um, and still am uh, even though I'm older now Um, so but but as I moved around in other cities I began to realize that for me St. Louis became sort of focal point to think about all the things I was concerned about, right? Um, Ideas of activism, ideas of social justice, ideas of poetry taking on a role that's beyond art for art's sake. You know, what is the Mm -hmm. role of art? What's the role of poetry in relationship to a place like City, uh, St. Louis? How could poetry engage it? And I struggled for a very long time when I wasn't living here with how I was going to include St. Louis in my poetry because I did not know how to do it. Um, because I wanted to to talk about the issues, which are very complicated and which also indict me as a as a as a white man. Um, how do I talk about it the the issues of racism in St. Louis, without being a voyeuristic about it, or without me sort of being opportunistic about it, or without me trying to sort of point the finger at other people aside and not at myself. So. It, it was really hard to, uh, for me to figure out. Um, and so I, so I slowly started going there, sort of moving in that direction. And so my appreciation for the city just sort of grew. I mean, I started doing more research on the city that I thought I knew really well. And I knew parts of it, but there was another part or many other parts I did not know. So I began to educate myself about its history, um, its various issues and complications, and was like, you know, really got really involved in it that way. Um, but upon returning, so in St. Louis, when I got here in 2013, that was something that I was actively looking into with my writing was like, how can I not only just be living back in St. Louis, but how can I now use this, how can I engage it through my writing very specifically? Um, and, and so I've been doing that, I think for the past, since I've been back, essentially, um, much to great failure and just not going much of anywhere, but still trying to think about how the city operates what it represents, what it actually is, um, and really grappling with those issues of like, you know, can poetry make anything change? And again, being responsible to like, how can I talk about the city? Um, so in 2014, with the, the murder and killing of Michael Brown and Ferguson, um, I, I be, began to think about how this became even more important, that, that I was not still not really fully engaging with the city, and I had to sort of interrogate that. What was it about St. Louis that I felt like I couldn't talk about? I still had these prohibitions about that if I write about a specific place or even a specific incident, that somehow I'm limiting the ability of my poetry to reach other people or go beyond that historical moment. 
Um, and I realized that, that wasn't true. That obviously this is what all poets have been doing forever. I mean, for 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 all all time. And so, um, I began. I have been now just writing about my engagement with the city, and writing about St. Louis. Um, but trying to really interrogate myself in that process mm. of sort of why again those same questions why am I writing about St. Louis how am I writing about St. Louis and again not because I'm trying to be quote-unquote careful that that suggests that somehow I'm trying to not get into trouble for saying the wrong thing or saying something that I'm not supposed to say um, that's not a concern it's more about being responsible mm-hmm. right as right. a poet I feel like and as a and I would talk to my students about this frequently um, we have to be responsible uh, in a way that's that's very important. So we have to be responsible to ourselves and to one another and to our our subject matter, essentially. So, yeah. So I've been I've been writing about St. Louis, the city, its history, and thinking about, especially in terms of race. I mean, a lot of it has been concentrated on race, um, and how I am or am not engaged with that issue, which is very important um and how i have or have not been engaged with that that issue in the past and how i hope to be or maybe won't be in the future so really trying to navigate that it seems to be sort of like a central task i mean just for a a, a huge challenge you know for a lot of white authors in general i mean i think this is to avoid that voyeurism right to avoid sort of that um, opportunist opportunism maybe is right. uh, a word you could use there is is yeah this responsibility um, yeah. I guess right and, yeah but I would but I'd say you know Grant I wouldn't say it's a challenge I mean we use that word but and I know what you're saying but like we have to be even cognizant of that right you know what is it really a challenge or is it really just a, you know is it really an obligation right so making sure right. that we're like you know this isn't hard this isn't hard where we shouldn't we you know making sure that we're not saying and I'm not I know you're not saying this right but that I'm not saying that we don't propagate this idea that the difficulty for a white guy to write about race is well it's, we should respect how difficult that is I mean it should just be something that we do right mm, right um, if I weren't white it would we'd probably approach it differently like it's more of an obligation right or someone's just it's that's that's their that's their life and their situation but as a white writer, it's it's not the challenge. It's 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 actually like paying attention to that. This is also. Hello again, everybody. It's Grant Deem here with Writers in the World, and with me today is Dr. Joshua Kriya from Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, and we're going to switch directions in our conversation today to talk a little bit more about uh, Dr. K's own journey through his MFA program at Iowa and beyond. Um, finishing his PhD program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So, Dr. K, we are in the midst of sort of application season for uh, young writers or or old writers that are looking for a program. And so um, I guess a place to start would be uh, just asking you, um, how did that process go for you when you started looking at, you know, the next step, what what you were going to do uh, sort of after you got out of undergraduate school? Right. Um, well, for me, originally, when I finished my undergrad, which took me a while um, to do, I did say I took a a couple poetry courses in, as an undergraduate. I think one of them was a workshop with um, my my mentor Steve Schreiner, and so that was very eye opening and and helpful. Um, but when I finished, I was had no interest in going into a writing program. I was aware of them. I knew what they were. Um, I had a group of friends, and I had had done some research and had learned about them. So we knew that there were writing programs out there. Um, and we knew even sort of the the hierarchy of them in some ways in terms of their ranking and mm-hmm. stuff like that. 
Um, but I didn't have any interest. I really, I really did not. I thought that I was doing just fine uh, the way I was going. I was writing a lot. I was producing a lot of writing. Um, I was waiting tables at the time and just working a single you know, young guy. So I had plenty of time on my hands. And I had built in um, a writing uh, schedule in my life. So I was definitely writing every day or mostly at night. But I really was pretty dedicated to that. And I surrounded myself with, with like-minded folks. So I had a lot of friends whether they were writers or artists or filmmakers or musicians, that all of them were pretty dedicated at that time to their art form. So they made time for it, and we would share the the results, and we'd um, work together and collaborate sometimes, or just get together and drink and just talk about what we were doing. So it was very active and very fecund. There was a lot of things happening. It was a very fertile time. Mm. Um, and so I thought I was doing fine, and at that point I was... I had submitted some poems to some contests locally in St. Louis and had won some awards mm-hmm. and I had got even a couple poems published in some uh, literary magazines. So I thought like I didn't need to go to a program and I, in, in some ways I was against this idea of the institutionalized writing program. I thought it was anathema to creativity and imagination. So I didn't bother. Um, but what I wanted to do is I went, I thought well, I did want to leave St. Louis. I wanted to go and do and experience something else. And I thought, of course, New York was a good place to do that. And so I moved to New York for a short stint. And what I was interested in doing there was to sort of more explore um, what I was sort of thinking about as like street poetry. I mean, poetry that was existing outside academia. I was actually very, I wasn't anti-academia, but I was not, I was not into that. I thought that that was a more privileged space mm-hmm. and it was a space that created a kind of poetry that I wasn't as interested in, I thought. And so I was looking for a spoken word opportunities and open mics. I mean, having run a bunch of open mics in St. Louis, I was trying, I wanted to do that in New York. And so when I arrived in New York, there's a great place called the Norican uh, Poets Cafe, which is a wonderful place that does readings and had lots of open mics and opportunities. So I began to hang out there and to, to do some of that. But I, I did quickly realize that it wasn't working for me, that, that actually my purview was not... Um, spoken word poetry that I was actually I, I was I mean I remember I had some friends kind of pull me aside and like actually you know you you say you're not into academia but you kind of are writing like academic poets and what they meant by that was I was writing to be read not to be basically spoken right that I was not very capitalizing on those sort of spoken word um, devices like expressiveness yeah. and performance I mean I, I could do those things but I was not really as engaged with that was much more engaged with just language on the page mm-hmm. really why I liked the compositional field of the page and wanted to work with that, the poetry, poetry poem on the page um, so when I was in New York I, I was also just working all the time and not having much time to write and so I realized fairly quickly that um, if I wanted to continue as, as a poet if I wanted to continue making poetry something that was the, sort of the forefront of my life I probably had to change something. And so um, I realized that maybe graduate school was was a good idea um, because what I knew of it was that it's a place where they support you to write. They sometimes give you funding. They give you courses where you write and you share your writing with other people and they force you to, to have deadlines and things like that. So exposure to other writers, your peers and other sort of other well-known established writers who are your, your instructors and professors. And then the opportunity to maybe network and publish and see what happens with that. Right. So I moved back to St. Louis and thought, well, I'll just I need to I need to apply to grad school. So when I moved back to St. Louis, I tried in New York 
for a while, but it was impossible. Um, I live in a very small studio apartment uh, down on the Lower East Side um, on 11th Street between A and B, and I live with my aunt's uh, partner, Estella, who's from Columbia. So she would go upstate to Tilson, New York, which is where my aunt lived, and she'd stay with her on the weekends, but she'd then come back and work uh, during the weekdays. And she gave me a place to stay when I first moved there. And it was a studio apartment, so it was very small. She was lovely and so supportive, but it was very small yeah. and very, very difficult. And then I was working like double shifts. I was basically waiting tables during the days and at nights because wow. I just had, you know, I needed to make money. Uh-huh. It was very expensive. So I had no time, no time to do much of anything, especially when it came to writing. And so I would go to the public library um, in New York, sometimes the main branch or sometimes other branches, and try to do research. This is still before the 2000s, so you could access the internet, but it was a slower process sure. and much more burdensome. But I would sort of look for programs, and I was also mostly doing the first steps, like I had to do my GREs, uh, I had to get my letters of rec, I mean, that sort of stuff. So I was trying to study for the GREs, and it was just, I just couldn't, I didn't have the capacity for it. It was just too kind of freaked out by New York and all the pressures there, and my situation was just not really good. It was just very stressful. So. I decided, okay, I'm going to do it, but I can't do it this way. So I finally uh, moved back to St. Louis. How and long were you in New York for? I'm just curious. there for like six months. I was not but there that's very still, long. that's still a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, not long. Um, yeah. time enough to know that if a place is, is oh, working yeah. for yeah. you, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah, I often think about that. Like as a writer, you sort of, sometimes, at least for me, I have an idea of what I think I should be writing yeah. or what I think yeah. my skills are sort of yeah. geared towards, but I've, I've been wrong about that, yeah. you know? And yeah. so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting. Uh, that's, that's a really unique story. And yeah, just that name of the, the cafe even yeah. sort of what yeah. drew you out there. And that had to have been a, I mean, St. Louis is a city, of course, and, and you grew up there. So yeah. you understand sort of city life but yeah. I'm sure that yeah. was still uh, a bit of a change um, oh, it was huge I mean I, I mean I also I mean to be honest I was also up there because I was in a relationship and and that that did not work out at all okay. I get, but but I I applaud that relationship and it's dear to me for various reasons but mostly because it got me out of St. Louis I don't think sure. I would have ever left St. Louis I was very happy here I had a very easy life and it's uh-huh. very inexpensive in St. Louis especially at that time this is in the 90s I was just working and writing and hanging, had my group of friends and, you know, I had my community. It was really cozy. It was nice. Sure. There was, and I really didn't think I would go anywhere. Mm. And then this opportunity came up and I thought, well, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll just try it. And I think if I hadn't done that, I don't know that I would not have probably, have, I don't know if I would have gone to grad school. Mm. So, I mean, it got me out and exposed me to the world in a way that I had never been exposed to before. Um, but then when I came back, I, I moved into my mother's basement. That was very mm. humiliating, but necessary. Mm. And then got my application out. So I, I got back at the end of October. So I did not have much time to get that app together, right? Because applications, I think, were due December, January. Right. Um, and so when I got back, I, was, I did the GRE and I did the letters of rec, but I really, really worked on the writing sample. That's what I mostly worked on. Um, my letter of intent or my cover letter was just a short little page and it was really not a good letter. Um, I just wrote something. I mean, it was very like, you know, hey... I hope you take me. If you don't, no big deal. I'm going to keep writing it whether you take me or not. So, you know, it's up to you. (laughs) Well, I don't know. It was very, I mean, I was trying, you know, I was still resistant. I was still kind of like, you know, I don't need your, you know, your affirmation. I don't need you to validate me as a writer, but, you know, I'd be cool, be cool about your program. But, uh, but the writing sample, I worked, I mean, I worked so hard on that writing sample. I, I knew I had to have 
a certain amount of poems together. And so I just kept revising and writing and writing and writing. And all that was, I think for the most part, new work. It was all new work I had just, I was writing in when I moved back to St. Louis. Right. It wasn't stuff that I had carried over from years before. I was right. just trying to work on that. Which so. I'm sure, yeah, the the move, the change, oh, yeah. uh, everything that yeah. was going on, I'm sure was yeah. some informing that somehow. Oh, yeah. And, and that sort of leads yeah. into what I was going to ask you next. I, I'd love to still hear a little bit more just about Iowa, just because I, that program's held in such regard, and rightfully yeah. so. And and then that decision even to continue. Um, right, you know, right. To, have to, to go for the PhD, yeah. I mean, yeah. especially considering initially you you did not want to go the academic route and then to sort of fast forward and uh two programs later two degrees later and you know now a professor professor here but let me backtrack a little bit and you mentioned the writing sample and sort of taking the most time on that and i feel like that's maybe really good advice and sort of uh it should be really obvious right but i think all those other parts of the puzzle, you know, those sort of crowd the the creative mind or just the mind in general. And I think sometimes yeah. applicants forget that it is yeah. it's the writing. It'll always it's the be writing. about the writing. It's always writing. I get, I know this from you know being here now when I now look at applications, but and we knew it even then. But you, it's the writing. That's what's going to get you into a program. Right. And if there's any issues when it comes to one's GPA, previous GPA, or transcripts and stuff like that, even letters, those things are usually can be addressed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and usually in a way that that's fine. But a, a poor writing sample can't. We, we don't give second chances. They don't write you back right. and say, we see something here, can you resubmit? Like, mm-hmm. they don't do that. They just say no. So, so you have to kind of get it right, you know? You have to spend the time. And I think they're looking for various things. We're all looking for different things when it comes to these writing samples. But one thing I know for certain is that we're looking for evidence of you having spent the time, right? Um, and that means revision and, and sort of working out some of the mechanics of the writing itself in the writing. I mean, that's what any young writer is going to show evidence of grappling with the thing itself mm-hmm. and not this, like, I don't mean a perfectly polished and beautiful thing. If, I mean, if we have writers that were submitting this work that was just, like, impeccable, we might just turn them down because why would they need to go to a program mm-hmm. if they're writing so well? We're looking for writers who need instruction, that need some mentorship and some guidance, that have something we can work with. And we recognize that they're going somewhere, but we can just help get them better in, in that direction, hopefully. So the writing sample, this is so important. It is so important. It is the thing. Yeah, yeah. and it I really feel is. like we uh, we in the program here do do sort of benefit from all those supports that you just yeah. mentioned. I wonder if that how that compared to, you, so that philosophy, I wonder how it compared to your own experience yeah. and sort yeah. of on the other Well, on I mean, for side. me, you, you're, and you're asking about my, you know, so Iowa and UNLV, but... And a lot of that, that for me was just luck. I mean, it really was. So I applied to many different programs uh, for MFA, and I was very educated about it. That's another thing that uh, would impress upon folks, to become very educated about what programs are out there, what they have to offer, who the faculty are, read the writing of the faculty, see if you even want to work with these people. And that seems kind of important if you're going to commit two to three years uh, working with them. If they have funding, find out, because this stuff is not cheap. Um, what's the city like? What's the town like? Mm-hmm. What's the geography like? What's the weather like? You know, do you want to be in the south? Do you want to be up north where it's really cold? I mean, where do you where do you want right. to be? Where what's going to be productive for you? So though you can really educate yourself, and I did. I was I was looking at everything, mm-hmm. and I was really really interested in faculty. So I would find I had all these poets that I was uh, enamored of, and I would just find out where they were teaching, and that's what I decided my mm-hmm. applications would go. So I was. I would find poets, living contemporary poets, that I liked their work, and by association, I thought, well, I must want to, I must want to work with them. I could work with them and have them instruct me, 
And so I found their programs and applied to those programs. But again, luck did kind of went out here. I applied to at least at least 15, maybe even 20 programs. I applied to a lot. And again, that, my, that part of educating myself is I knew I was going to apply to the top tier and the middle tier and even the lower tier because I wanted to go to graduate mm-hmm. school. I did not mm-hmm. want to not get accepted and just hang out in St. Louis. Despite my love of the city, I was like, I'd come back from New York. I was wanting new experiences. I needed to get back out. I needed another change. Uh, I need to keep going with change. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to cover the spread. I was like, I'm going to, I can need to get in anywhere. Um, but again, I, but ironically I did not. I only, I did, I got rejected from everywhere except for Iowa. Iowa was the only place that said yes, which I thought was really bizarre. <laughs> um, and I was fine with that. I was happy with that. I didn't, no right. arguing there, but right. still even to yeah. this day, I'm like, I don't, I mean, I applied to some, many different places, but nothing. So I remember getting to Iowa when I got there, there was a lot of that, um, there was some little initially when you first meet folks there was a lot of like well where else did you apply and where else did you get in and a lot of my peers were talking about how they got into all these other places and they decided Iowa for this reason and I was just like I didn't have a decision this is just my only choice so um so then I so I went to Iowa you know and so it was was great I mean I was very new and very different um and I have I felt somewhat conflicted about the experience which I think all folks do about anywhere they go um I'd say about half of my time there was really productive and insightful and very helpful. Other half was sort of maybe spent with just a lot more sort of existential, you know, ennui and like some frustrations and fear and intimidation. But that mm. seems pretty natural, I think, for most folks, yeah. right? Yeah, you spend the I, and I don't know which which order that was in, but for for me it was the way you said it. Sort of, you you spend these the, the first year, year and yeah. a half you know, just t- burrowing in and yeah. tunneling in and it's yeah. uh, you put a lot on, you put a lot on the page and yeah, you kind of get to this point where you, you're, you're looking, you're looking at what you've done so yeah. far and, yeah. and sort and you're thinking about next steps yeah. and, and yeah. yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's just really hard work yeah. and, um, yeah, no, I, I appreciate you sort of being forthright and just honest about oh, yeah. that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So can you maybe speak a little bit to the decision to, to then, pursue the phd yeah yeah so i mean while i was at iowa one of the best one of the great great things about iowa is they have permanent faculty but they also have the resources and the support and the fine to bring in visiting faculty all the time and so sometimes faculty would come in poets or fiction writers would come in for a week or a month or sometimes they come for a full semester or for an entire year and so you had the opportunity to 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 work with a lot of different writers Mm -hmm. and so i recognized that right away that i was often more interested in the visiting writers um, and, and I would get again once I heard that they were coming I'd learn about them and decide if I wanted to take their courses you could sometimes take workshop with them but also you could also you could also take um, lecture courses with mm-hmm. them so there's many instances in which you can engage with them and learn from them and you know they might provide some sort of mentorship and so for me I took full advantage of that that's one thing that I did really mostly big plus for my, my being there that's a huge um aspect of that experience that I really, really benefited from. And so one of uh, the poets who came was a woman named Claudia Keelan. She was coming from UNLV, had been teaching there for years. So she and her husband, Donald Ravel, were in Iowa, I believe, for an entire year. Maybe it was just a semester, but it might have been a year. And I took her workshop, and um, and I liked her very much, and we, we seemed to get along very, very well, and she seemed to like my work and knew what I was trying to do and gave me some good feedback. And it was my second year. It's a two-year program at Iowa. Um, and it might have been my last semester even. But 
she let me know in the course of working with her and meeting with her and stuff that she they had started a new PhD program in creative writing at UNLV like the previous year or year, year or two before. And she encouraged me to apply. She said, you know, I think that this is something you might, if you're interested in going to further work, um, this is uh, something you, you should want to think about. And so for me, while I was at Iowa, I did determine um, pretty quickly that, that I wanted to stay in school, that I wanted to not just keep studying, but I wanted to, I wanted to make a career out of mm. academia. So, and of course I knew I did get more degrees and a PhD would really, would really help. And so that, that is what probably motivated me too. So her encouragement, um, and then me realizing, okay, I want to, I want to teach. I want to do what these folks are doing here at the workshop. I want to teach workshops and I want to work with, you know, and teach poetry. Um, but I didn't have a book at that point. I was publishing poems in journals and doing some other things, but I didn't have many options. I had a job right afterwards, um, at the university, I stayed for an extra year. I met my partner when I was at Iowa, and she was in a three-year program, so she had one more year left. And so I stayed for an extra year working as an academic advisor at the university, and it wasn't a bad job, actually, mm-hmm. for someone at that age and no, that time. It was a pretty good job, full benefits, you know, it was nice. So I had a whole year to sort of get myself together yeah. and sort of really consider what she, her, her suggestion of my applying. Um, and... Trying to remember how this worked. How did this work? I don't remember how this worked. The move or just the the acceptance and. Well, I guess I pl- so I applied that next that third year when I was just working. I, I kind of forget that we were there that extra year, and I got in, so I got accepted. And the thing about UNLV was there the 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 most convincing aspect of this is they had a very um, healthy fellowship. So mm. the the fellowship. Um, was for three years and it was fully funded and the money was good because I had I mean for me at that point right, it was twenty five thousand yeah. dollars a year and then fully they paid the tuition and I could teach as well so and I had no other prospects at that point and thought you know especially without a book I was like this is great this is cool it had to be one of the first ph was it one of the first no PhD Houston program? had been around okay, for a while right. and even you know Mizzou had been around for a right, while and right. Utah had been around for a while okay. so it was quite a few but they were trying to establish themselves by offering a lot of money that was like that, that that fellowship became kind of a big deal it's uh-huh. called the the Schaefer fellowship at that point named okay. after the guy who who gave donated the money and now it's just called the Black Mountain fellowship um but it's really prestigious in terms of that and you know as writers we're looking for funding right you know we we're, we have to be honest about that too we're looking for uh, money we need to support ourselves you can't get to the and if we can the get the art, money yeah. to write that's awesome so and then this is what I'm trying to remember is it somehow I don't I don't remember. So I think, I guess one of my friends, my peer, I think he went the year before me. Is that right? I don't remember this. Gosh. I had two friends over there with me that were all in the PhD program together. We're all from Iowa. Um, that's pretty unique. I mean, though. well, yeah. So, and I think the poet went a year before me. I think that's what happened is that perhaps Matt, Matt Schaefer, he went before me. And then he also was like, hey, this is fine. This is great. You should come out. And so then I applied and got it. And then my um, another friend of mine, another peer of ours, Vu Tran, who came and read here last year. Uh, yeah. Was that last year? Yes. Yeah. That was last uh, spring. Oh, yeah. For the mm-hmm. thing. So Vu came in as a fiction writer. We both came in the same year. And I think Matt had been there the year before us. Anyway, so it's, so it's interesting. So it was not, so it was, you know, moving to Las Vegas was a totally different thing. Right. 
my partner um, is from California, so she was interested in getting back to that area of the country. Mm-hmm. She was not happy with Iowa and the Midwest. And so she was very keen on doing this. Uh, it was very Vegas, very close to LA. I had a lot of family out there. So we went. We went, and that was in 2003, I guess. So I, I, 2003. And then, lo and behold, I was there with people that I knew that I had been studying and been in, you know, Matt and I had been in workshops together. Vu and I hung out all the time. So it was very cozy. It was really nice. Oh, um, and so then I got there. And the great thing about that was the funding. The funding was mm-hmm. great. Right. Um, awesome. And they gave me major opportunities to, to teach. So they were really, we, they treated us really special as PhD students, which is nice. I don't know if that happens, you know, everywhere. But for us, we were considered to be you know, more mature, more advanced, and so they treated us with some respect, and so they gave us some independence, and they allowed us to teach a lot, and so I cut my teeth in terms of teaching, really, at UNLV, so I did a lot of writing there, but I also did tons of teaching. I was able to sort of even choose sometimes what I got to teach, and I only taught, you know, composition like once or twice, but I was teaching, there was a world lit requirement in the department, so I taught tons of world literature, um, and I was teaching some poetry classes and other lit classes. So it was really, I, took a Shakespeare, I taught a Shakespeare class. I taught like a film class. I mean, it's wow. just really cool. I mean, yeah. did you know that that was going to be part of the No, I mean, they, they, okay. teaching was part of the, the fellowship as part of the position as a PhD uh, student. But um, I just assumed like most other places, like it had been, um, that it would be just mostly like we do here, teaching composition and account, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, but we could opt out for that. I mean, they, sometimes they'd say well, you have to do it, but I think I did it only once or twice. Mm. And I was there for th- I did it. You know, I finished the program. They fund you fully for three years, so I did it three and a half years. That that half year semester, I taught like four classes as a like an oh, adjunct, yeah. to, you know, but to to make up for that. Um, but anyways, but yeah, so the teaching and the funding was fantastic mm-hmm. and again we had lots of poets coming through and writers there's a lot of exposure to other writers and we had a really good reading series um when i was there i did i helped or i ran the reading series for a couple of years and i did a little radio show with the radio station there at unlv and i bring the writers in when they come visit and do interviews with them and stuff so there's a bunch of fun stuff yeah. that i did Okay, so before uh, I wrap up with Dr. K, uh, I just had one more thing to ask him. And so a through line that I'm seeing just in this conversation is that uh, Dr. Kriya has sort of made the most of these different experiences and opportunities that he's had in the field, whether it be at school or out in New York or otherwise. Uh, You took the time to really be present, I guess, in those situations and to uh, take advantage of the opportunities uh, to network. Um, you've, you've formed these relationships that, that have sort of directly led into this, this next step. And uh, I see some overlap with some of uh, the opportunities I've experienced here at SIUE. And just for our listeners out there that are applying right now, so they're in the midst of it. And uh, do you think there's anything that is part of our program here that sort of sets it apart maybe from some of the programs you're familiar with? Um, is there... Something that's unique, I guess, to SIUE and, and writing here and, and choosing to come here to, right. to study the craft right. and to, to work on it. Well, I think I mean, the, the focus of our program, the writing in the world, is probably the, the thing itself, right? So obviously, we, we constructed this program with that in mind. How do we distinguish ourselves, not in some sort of sexy way or some sort of you know, opportunistic way, but really being cognizant of the fact that writers today, right, 2019, um, that that things are changing, things have been changing. So the model that's been around for a while, 
of going to a program and then graduating and then getting a book published and then getting a job teaching back into another program is still available, um, but really not as not the way it used to be. There are more and more programs in the country right now, which would suggest there's more of those opportunities. But by virtue of having more programs, we are um, more and more students are graduating with degrees and with good writing and you know lots of ambition. So it's very, very competitive. Um, and there are limited seats, right? There just are limited right. seats. And so we knew that, and we have ourselves understand our, understand our own uh, limits here at SIUE, that there are some limitations even to our program and our campus um, and our area. And so we want to work with those. I mean, instead of sort of not acknowledging those limitations or those constraints, we want to sort of acknowledge them and sort of see how we can make them work for yeah. us, right? Um, and I think that's nice. really important. So we do have funding opportunities um, that we provide to our uh, graduate students. They can sometimes be competitive, um, and sometimes there can be more, and sometimes there can be less. So that's something that I think is true of all, all programs. You know, when I went and got my MFA, the funding I originally got at, at UNLV, or excuse me, at, at Iowa, wasn't the greatest. I mean, some folks got more and better, and I was not happy about that, but I got something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't even get, uh, they didn't pay for my tuition. I got in-state tuition, but I had to pay tuition to go mm -hmm. to graduate school. And then I got a GA ship working for the iReview as an editor uh, on iReview, which at that time I thought was not very exciting because other people were teaching creative writing classes. And mm -hmm. some of them were even teaching undergraduate workshops. But at that um, point, the funding was staggered. So they they really kind of set us against each other. It was a really actually kind of somewhat unhealthy situation. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been through that. You know, when I was at UNLV, I, I got uh, the funding situation was much better for me, right. and I was really happy with that. But I've experienced both ends. So at, at Iowa, I felt like I was kind of just thrown a small a smaller bone. Um, but I worked with it. I mean, I worked at the Review, and I met the editor, who later, his wife was the one who married my partner and I, and David Hamilton and I are still talk. I mean, he's since retired, but he became a very close and important friend and mentor, a very important mentor. And when I was at the iReview, I learned all about editing and literary reviews and how to submit work. And I got to read all kinds of writing and accept some work. It was a true education, which at first I thought more, I had sour grapes. I was like, no, this is not as sexy as what other people are doing cooler things over here. It's more prestigious. These are like real, these people got a better deal than me. And I realized that that's not right. And that wasn't right at all. I got a, I got a great deal. I really learned a lot. Um, so, you know, we know that this happens here. It happens with every program that we, we try to give as much funding as we can to mm -hmm. students. Um, and we're always working to, to improve that. Um, so, but I'd always have to say, and you can cut this out, but like, you know, always just make sure <laughs> that you're, you know, you're cognizant of that. Make sure, you know, yeah. when you apply to any program, including our own, what we do offer and what you can handle. Mm -hmm. I mean, just make sure you make that choice for you and it's right because you have to do that, right? We're, we're not doing that for you. We're gonna help you as much as we can, but we wanna be very honest about that. We need to be, right. be very upfront about the fact that this is kind of what you're gonna able to get. Hey everyone, Grant here. Thank you all for listening to our sixth episode. I've truly enjoyed being your host, and I hope you all have enjoyed listening so far. I'll be taking a short break from the podcast, 
but new episodes will start back up again mid-January. In the meantime, please send any suggestions, questions, thoughts, or ideas to me at gdeem at siue.edu. That's g-d-e-a-m at siue.edu. Thanks. Thank you.